0: Amen. what a beautiful beautiful hymn. I, I liked where Jesse uh, said that we were to honor our, our parents and uh, this morning down in Augusta we had uh, one of our elderly ladies. I think she's 90 oh, up a 97 90, 95. Anyway, she had uh, said, I just want to thank God for the godly mother that I had. We don't always think about that because it's so far past, and, and I brought up that um, we are to be thankful for the mothers that we had. Not all of us had good mothers. My mother had uh, quite a few issues in her life, um, but I'm still thankful. I believe that uh, in her own way, she did the best that she could, and uh, I'm thankful for it because it's part of making me who I am today, and so whatever it is that we go through in life, uh, God uses that to develop our character and to create us into who we can be. And, you know, our goal is always, uh, as parents anyway, should be to have our kids do a little bit better than what we do. And I think there's a scripture that talks about there's no greater joy than to know that my my children walk in truth. And uh, I know Julie said one time on her gravestone, Uh, headstone, whatever they call them these days, she just wants the inscription be there. So uh, for the kids, you know, we want to teach them to walk in the ways of the Lord. And I think of Paul and Timothy, and he says, you have known the scriptures from when you were young. And that's the advantage of being a Christian parent and being able to teach your kids the scriptures and to show them from a young age they know what God's word says. And so when we look at those things, we have the advantage right now as believers, as Christians, as coming to church and bringing our children with us to teach them those things. And it does give them sort of that jump start. So uh, as we turn to James 2, we're going to continue through this faith and works because I think for every parent, uh, they want their child to do what is right. Any healthy family anyways, they want their kids to live right, to do right, and we know as parents many times that, that we fall short in many ways, that we, we, we fail our kids, but yet we're always pointing the kids beyond us, and we point them to the Savior and to Jesus and his word, because that's where uh, their success, that's where their contentment, that's where their value and their being will be found is in Christ Jesus. And so James, as he's talking to this, remember he was the, the pastor of Jerusalem Church, uh, twenty to 30,000 people, the awesome responsibility of, of, of bringing the lost to Christ and to uh, addressing a church that sometimes strayed and we're getting focused on other things. And so here's James, and he's telling them uh, that our walk um, needs to match our talk. And so that's the challenge that we have in the world. And again, we know that we fall short of this many times. uh, But the wonderful thing about each new day is that we can come back around and start each day fresh, each hour fresh, each moment fresh, really, when we realize something that we have done doesn't line up. You know, John uh, tells us in the epistles that God is faithful Uh, when we repent of our sins, to forgive us our sins, and we're thankful for that. And and we can lead by that example, and that's what James is is telling us. And he's telling us here, if we just back up a little bit to uh, verse 18, he says, some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And so when we look at that scripture, um, we can really ask that question. What does it mean to have those works in our life? And again, the disclaimer always is when we're in James and we talk about works because people get hung up on this. We are saved by faith and grace, not through works lest anyone should boast. But our works are a result of our salvation. Again, the yeast in the, in the bread dough, right? You have yeast in the bread dough. You set that, that bread dough off to the side and it just changes form. It just begins to, to grow. When Jesus left, he gave us the Holy Spirit. And he says, I, I have given you that Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is in you... It says that our lives will never be the same, that our lives are going to change. God is going to be working through our lives. And so there's warnings in the scriptures about don't quench the Holy Spirit, but we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. And it's just a natural outcome of being born again that God's word is going to show, show through in our life, in the things that we are doing. And so... James says, I'm not going to allow this type of thinking that just says, well, I have faith. People running around all the time, I have faith. We can look in the world today, we see many, many people that profess, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I I know who God is, but what does their life show? And James is really saying, and the scriptures really bear out, that if our lives aren't showing the fruits of, of Christ in us, are we really saved? Are we really Being obedient to God and his word and allowing his Holy Spirit to change us the way that he desires. See, Christ didn't come to to leave us where we're at. He'll meet us where we're at, but he's not going to leave us there. Jesus wants to make a difference in our life. He wants us to be conformed, it says, to his image. And so James' conclusion here is, is really a logical one. How can I see your faith unless you're showing it? What does the world see when they look at you? Do they see a person of faith? Do they see this person that calls themselves a Christian living in such a way, doing the things that God has called them to do? Now, there's a lot of moral people in the world. There's a lot of people that their life is is moral, they're doing good things, but they don't have Christ. So don't ever get confused that your works are that which save you, because they're not. But are you allowing the Holy Spirit in your life to do the work that it needs to do? Are you waiting patiently upon the Lord and allowing him to handle situations or do you want to take these situations into your own hand and and manage them your way? And we're going to talk about that because many times we're not following the Lord's will, we're following our will. Our desires become our will. And so he gives us a couple examples here. And starting in verse 20, he talks about Abraham. He says, well, I should say he ends up this way, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So he's telling people that believe that they can have faith and no works, he's calling them a foolish man. And if you read other parts of Scripture, God says we're not to call people fools lightly. That's really a, a bad thing to do, but he's saying if you believe that, you're being deceived. And so he again has this reiteration time and time again that faith without works Do you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only? And again, he's talking about justification, not sanctification. So he's talking about justification, not our salvation. So he's using Abraham, and Abraham is a a great example. He uses this Old Testament character that the Jewish church in, in Jerusalem would have fully understood, this new Christian church. Abraham was, was one of their pillars of faith. He was a godly man of old. He was one that led the Israelites. He was, he was the, in many senses, the father of that nation. And so people looked at him and they, they knew that God had communion with him and, and was one with him and that he followed God. We know the story of him and Isaac, and that's the example that he uses. It says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Now, I've read this scripture over and over through my Christian life. I still cannot wrap my mind around how he could have done that, how he could have even thought about that. Because in today's age, we would say, I don't know, you know, and question God. And I think, what type of faith did it have to believe in God? Abraham believed in God. And so we know the story that he said, take your son Isaac and offer him to me. And so him and Isaac went Well, they had some, some helpers for a while and then he left them back and he took his son and he took him right up to the spot. They built the altar and he bound his son, even laid him on the altar, was ready to sacrifice his son when the angels stepped in. And we think, wow, that was amazing. But he uses this as an example of actions following God, following what God has for us. And I think in contrast to this, I look at that big thing and I say, man, I don't understand that. But do we even understand the little things in our life that God calls us to do? To be obedient in just the small things in the word of God. Are we doing that in our life? Abraham, it says, was justified long before he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Genesis 15:6. and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. There's a lot of people that say, I believe in God. But is it just an intellectual? Because faith in God is an action. Faith is an action word. I want you to understand that. Faith faith isn't just something that we keep up here. Faith is something that works out in our life. And it says that Abraham believed in the Lord and he accounted to him for righteousness. His offering of, of Isaac, or his bringing up Isaac to the altar at that time, demonstrated that he really did trust God. And that's a huge step. But I want you to think in your life, small steps. Are you proving out, not just to yourself, but to others that are looking, are you proving out your faith in God? Are you trusting God in your situations? Or do you say, you know, God isn't big enough, God isn't strong enough to handle this, so I need to use, you know, my brain, my intellect, my knowledge, my wisdom to figure this out. Or are we trying to trust in God and saying, God, you know, I don't know how it's going to work. But I'm trusting in you and I'm going to be obedient to you. You know, it talks of Jesus. Of course, he's our Lord and Savior. It says that he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, as an example to us, was in Gethsemane and he cried out, Father, if there's any way that this can be taken from me. But he says, not my will, but thy will be done. God brings us sometimes in our life to tough choices, to tough decisions. And sometimes it's not always a yes or a no, it's a a wait and see, or a come and see. Trust me, he says. When he called his disciples to follow him, many times he said, come and see, come and see. And so Jesus challenges us to trust him. And in all my life, my Christian walk, Jesus has never let me down. He has always been there for me. He has always upheld me in his hand. Usually when I'm failing, it's because I'm taking things into my own hand. So he desires our obedience. And Abraham showed that. He's a great example of that for us. That he believed in God. And he believed in God, not just in the big things, but in the little things. Spending time in prayer. Abraham, actually, I believe, did offer Isaac in his mind to him I really believe that that Isaac was already dead. And I remember the promise that was given through Isaac. Your descendants are going to be like that of the sands on the sea. Here's his only son. Well, what am I going to do? How is this going to be fulfilled? We could use all sorts of reasoning to argue with God in a situation like that. But here he is. And I believe that Abraham believed that if he even if he sacrificed and gave Him to God, that God would raise him from the dead, or that God would provide some other way? Because when Isaac asked, where is the sacrifice? Abraham's response was what? God will provide. Do we believe that God will provide in our life? We've gone through some tough years here with the COVID and all the things that are going on. Some of us have been struck sort of economically with different things, and and some with the prices of things going sort of crazy. If we're on a fixed budget, it looks tough. We might say, well, how how are we going to manage? How are we going to do this? I'll tell you that God will take care of you. You do what it is that you need to do, and God will provide the rest. God is a God that cares about us and loves us, and he's not going to leave us or forsake us, but he will strengthen us. He says, follow me. Jesus said, follow me. Peter said, Jesus said, I have given you an example that you should follow in my footsteps. So we cling onto Jesus' hand. And wherever he leads, he's going to take care of us. He believes that if he had had offered Isaac, and it was his intention as he went up there, he would have surely completed the act if God had not stopped him. The other thing that amazes me, just a side note on that story, is you had Abraham, an old man, and Isaac, a young man. And I'm thinking as a young man, If all of a sudden dad's uh, binding me up, uh, what am I going to do? But Isaac, I think, had faith too. And he trusted his father. And he believed in God. Abraham was so complete in his obedience that he had really counted Isaac as dead, I think, already in his mind. But trusting that God would take care of it. And so we look at faith. What does faith mean? Faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect, the scripture says. See, sometimes God tests us in areas of our life, and I really don't believe in today's day he's ever going to do anything like he did with Abraham and Isaac. I think that was for our learning, so we have something to talk about on a Sunday morning or to study when we're at home. But we have that as an example. And when we look at things, He tests us many times with those things. He calls us not to show us, or not for us to show him that we're faithful in our obedience, but many times to show ourselves. See, because I believe in the sovereignty of God, and and I believe that God already knows. He knows what today holds. He knows what tomorrow holds. He knows where I'm going to fail. He knows where I'm strong. He knows these things, but many times these things that God brings us to and walks us through are for us to see our faith and action for him. To prove to ourselves those things. Faith and works cooperated perfectly together in Abraham. You remember last week we talked about faith and works are, are two sides of the same coin. They, they can't be dissected. And many times in our Christian walk we want to dissect things. We want to, we want to take obedience away from grace. You know we want mercy and love to, to be here and the law to be here. And, and so... We like to hop from box to box, Well, today I, I feel like I want to be a law enforcer, and so I'm going to find out every fault of everybody and point that out. Maybe tomorrow I want to be a mercy extender, and so we can overlook these things. But God says they all work together. They're all in the scriptures. And so if he had believed God, if he hadn't believed God, he could have never have done what it was that God had called him to do. We would have never had this story in the scriptures. Clark tells us this in his commentary. Here is proof that faith cannot exist without being active in works of righteousness. Now others would say there's two types of faith. There's a dead faith and a live faith. But Clark is saying that a living faith, a real faith, cannot exist without being active in works of righteousness. His faith, talking of Abraham's, in God would have been of no avail to him if he had not manifested it by works. And so James would say, you can say you have faith, but I don't see it. He says, you just watch my life, and you'll see my faith in action. You see, that man is justified by works and not by faith only. See, works are the the outpouring of the faith. It's the completion of the circle in our life. A true and living faith shown By good works, the scriptures say will justify us. Not gonna save us, they're gonna justify us. We don't do works for salvation, we do works because of salvation. (laughs) Trapp said this: it is faith that justifies the man, but they are works that justify the faith. And to be right and real, saving and justifying. So when we look at that, we can we can see and understand. This, this thing that James is talking about a little bit more. Charles Spurgeon reported to have said this, the grace that does not change my life cannot save my soul. I want you to think about that. Because we talk a lot about grace, we talk a lot about mercy, we talk about a lot about love, talk a lot about judgment, all these different words that are in the scriptures. But where are they in your life? Are we seeing those? In people's life you know we always want grace in our life right because I, I don't want to be condemned I don't want to be judged I don't want to have you know faults pointed out so where's the grace I used to have a friend that used to always say where's the love you know you'd talk about something and he'd say it a lot of times in a joking way but we think about that sometimes and sometimes we're very judgmental to strangers until that situation hits close to home and then all of a sudden, Our views change. So Jesus says we need all these things in our life. We need all these attributes in our life. And that's what the faith is in our life. And then it starts pouring out through us to others. That others might be drawn to Christ. Verse 25, now we're down to Rahab. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? What a contrast. You have Abraham, a godly icon for the Jewish people, a holy man, examples to the Jewish nation, to Israel. God had used him and spoke to him, and in the experiences that he had, man, those were great. Now James brings up Rahab, prostitute, harlot, bottom of the barrel on a social standard, but he uses her also by faith. And so when we look at Rahab, we see that James uses these two totally different examples to show us how works can be shown out through our faith that we have in God. And so James, I think in a way too, might have been subtly sort of telling his church a problem that they had also. Remember a few weeks ago we were talking about not showing favoritism, right? We like to show favoritism to people. Oh, these people have something to offer. They got these gifts. They got this. They're, they're higher in the social economic class. And, and so we give them all the favoritism, and maybe those that are less fortunate are, are sitting in the back, right? Well, think about this. You have the new Christian church basically filled with, with these Jewish converts that have come to love Jesus. And now the gospel has gone out to the Gentiles, and all of a sudden the Gentiles are, are coming into this church, And maybe some of those Jews and the way that they had been raised were sort of like, whoa, we're getting an awful lot of them in here. I remember when we were up in Jump River and our church was growing, we had a a bunch of Mennonites that that started coming down to our church, uh, slowly, I should say, and they they just started coming Well, from their culture and their background. They started bringing in different songs and and different ideas and some different things. And I remember our church in Jump River, and, and God bless them, but they were like, are they trying to make us like them? A lot of times we can have that in church. Well, maybe, maybe the Jerusalem church was facing that. We're Jewish, and we like our Jewish ways, and we sort of like our, some of our customs, even though we believe in Jesus, and here come the Gentiles that had basically no understanding of Jewish heritage. So is this why James is bringing in Rahab? could have been. Could have just been for the shock value because sometimes as Christians we start to think higher of ourselves than we should and we start looking down our nose at other people. And so we sometimes get up there. That's why the scriptures say don't think higher of yourself than you should. Keep a humble spirit. Maybe that was part of it. The Jews would have had nothing to do with a prostitute or a harlot. They would have even wanted to be nearer. We see that all through Jesus' ministry on the earth. But here she is being brought up as an example. Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works? He asked the question. Of course, she was. Rahab demonstrated her trust in what these Jewish believers had told her. What they had said. They trusted, she trusted them and she became a Christian. She says, I want what your God has. So we see at one point that the believers were walking in a certain way, in a way that drew Rahab to say whatever it is they want, or whatever it is that they have, I want. And so she was able to provide for that. Is your life a magnet for Christ? When you rub shoulders with people in the world, are, are they saying, I want what you have? What makes you different? How can you find joy in, in terrible times? How can, how can you have hope and in a world that seems to be spinning out of control, we have that perfect opportunity to say, it's not me, but it's what's in me. Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior. He made a difference in my life. You know, uh, if you've watched the the DVD series, The Chosen, it's sort of good, but uh, Mary says at one point, she says, you know, all I know is, is I was this way, and now I'm this way. And basically what happened in between was him. He changed my life. And so we have that opportunity to share that. Her faith was shown as a living faith because she did something. She hid the spies. She let them out a different way. And if she hadn't shown that to the rest of the world, I really believe that that she wouldn't have had that saving faith in her life. We certainly wouldn't be reading about her in the scriptures today. And so what do we do? Her belief in the God of Israel would not have saved her if she would have done nothing. So James is showing us that a faith is a living thing. It's a living organism of the Holy Spirit in our life that needs to flow out of us to show others by our actions. And yes, we fall short of this. Yes, sometimes it's tough because God has given us a brain also to sort of figure things. But when we pray about things and when we're in the scripture and when we seek godly counsel and we know what is right, we definitely know what is wrong. When our children were young, we sent them to a Christian school and I remember the first orientation I went to of the teacher. who was Mr. Vandaloo. And I can remember so clearly sitting in one of those classrooms and there was question and answer time and somebody asked a question. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember his answer. And his answer was this, you teach them what is right and they will know what is wrong. And that's always stuck with me. We teach what is right in God's word. The Holy Spirit is in us and the Holy Spirit clings to that which is right. And so we will know what is wrong. And so we have Abraham who acted in faith. He did some works. We have Rahab who acted in faith, did some works. The lesson from Abraham is clear. If we believe in God, we will do what he tells us to do. Jesus asked that question. Why does he ask this question? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I tell you? Jesus asks us that question. Why do you say that I'm your Lord, your Savior? Why do you say you believe in me, but you're you're not willing to be obedient to my word? Why do you do that? And really, the rhetorical question is, do you even know me? Are you really one of my children? Are you really one of my sheep? So the lesson from Abraham is clear. If we believe in God, we're going to do what he says. But the message from Rahab is also clear in the lesson. If we believe in God, we are going to help people even if it costs us something. James just talked about that. What good does it do if you see somebody that has a need? They're hungry and they're cold. And you just go pat them on the back. Well, we'll pray for you. Be filled, be warm, we'll be praying for you. And you do nothing to meet their needs. Again, James is talking about action in our life. That's the lesson of Rahab. We need to help people. Our faith needs to reach out. Jesus saved us, not so we can be our own little temple. He saved us that we can be the conduit from which others will come to know Christ. He has called us all to be a priestly bunch of people to be his messengers to be his evangelizers in this world you know there's, there's passions, teachers but we're all out there to teach we teach our kids, we teach our family but we can also reach out to our neighbors they're hurting, they've lost people they're going through tough times it doesn't just do you any good to say well I'll just be praying for it." prayer is an important thing, don't get me wrong prayer is important But prayer needs to be followed with actions too. Our faith needs to be followed with actions. And so the lesson from Rahab is we we need to help people, even if it costs us something. Don't just help people because you expect something back in return. We help people even if it costs us something. Calvin, John Calvin said this. He deliberately put together two persons. He's talking about Abraham and, and Rahab. He, purpose, or he deliberately put together two persons so different in their character in order to more clearly show that no one, whatever may have been his or her condition, nation, or class in society, has ever been counted righteous without good works. So it reaches across all these barriers. Maybe you've been raised in a church, been a good kid your whole life. I've met people like that, it's like, They've never tasted alcohol, they've never puffed on a cigarette, they've never done anything illicit in their life, but they're still sinners, they're still lost from Christ, and I've known people that their whole life has been basically in a gutter, and they still need Christ. And so it doesn't matter who it is, when we have that faith in Christ, it changes us. Because he tells us in that last verse, 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. As much as you can have a body without life, a corpse. We go to funerals. We see that. You can have a body without life. You can also have a faith with no life. We just claim it. Well, I got faith. But does that faith, is that a living faith? It says faith without works is dead. Faith without works is unable to do anything in your life or in the lives of others. Burdick said this, therefore if no deeds are forthcoming, it is proof that the professed faith is dead. These are great scholars, great commentators from times past. And when they would preach, they would preach hard and they would would show the truth of God. And so what does he say? If there's nothing forthcoming in your life, if there's no change going on in your life, if there's no desire to do that which is right that God has called us to do, it's proof that the professed faith is dead. Are you even saved, we might say. He says, notice that James does not deny that it is faith. He simply indicates that it is not the right kind of faith. It is not a living faith, nor can it save. See, the faith that Christ gives us is alive and active. It's like the word of God in us. It's continually drawing from us and showing us in our lives what we need to do and what we should be doing. You know, you can think of, a, of an apple tree. You know, I have some apple trees in my backyard and I'm out there and I'm, I'm looking right now and they're getting little, little buds. But if I was to ask you, where's the life in the tree? What would you say? It's in the roots. It's under the bark, right? I looked at my apple trees all winter. No leaves, no fruit. But now I'm beginning to see something. I'm beginning to see these little buds that come It's in the root. It's underneath the bark. It's in the trunk of the tree. And so it is with the Christian. The life is not in the apples. Just like our salvation is not in our works. But that tree, if it's alive, is going to produce fruit. If it's good fruit. And the Gospels tell us if you had an apple tree that never produced apples, it would be cut down. It's as good as dead, is what he's saying. So the apples are the, are the result of the life that is in the tree, and just as it is with us. Our works, our obedience, our faith in God is the result of the life that is in us. And that life is Jesus Christ. Calvin goes on to say, man is not justified by faith alone. That is, by a bare and empty knowledge of God. He is justified by works. That is, his righteousness is known and proved by his fruits. You know, sometimes as a pastor, I wonder about that. You know, they say sometimes they have enough knowledge to be dangerous. They'll say this in different things. We've raised generations of people that know about God, but is it an empty knowledge of God? Or is it a living faith in your life? As you sit here today, is Jesus real to you? Is he alive and active in you? Do you know his Holy Spirit is, is alive and active in your life? You know the scriptures say that his spirit will testify with our spirit. When you're doing something wrong, does it convict you to the point of change? Or are you just feeling bad because he got caught? So Jesus wants to transform our lives. And it's sort of Begs us to ask the question, are you risking your relationship with God? I believe that there's a lot of people that think that they have a relationship with God. And I'm not the judge of this, only God knows the hearts. But I think people have found this false security. Because they've walked an aisle, because they've been baptized, because they've been raised in a church. But they've never surrendered their life to Christ. They're not willing to be obedient in what he has called them to do. We make decisions in our life without considering the will of God and what it is that he desires for us, what he is asking us to do. And our actions are really showing out what is most important in our heart. Are you showing the world that Jesus is the most important in your life? If Jesus is Lord, we are listening to his voice. Even Jesus, when he went to Gethsemane, you know, he prayed, Lord, if there's any way that this cup can be taken from me, but if not, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Are you able to say that to the Lord? Lord, this is sort of where I'm thinking. This is, you know, I don't understand the situation. I don't know how it's going to work. And this is sort of what I'm thinking, and this is the direction I'm going. But Lord, I don't want it to be my will. I want it to be your will. Because your will is where I'm going to find satisfaction. If Jesus is Lord, we're listening to his voice. We're seeking after his will. But I want to ask you this. Are you making your desires Lord of your life? There's a way that seems right unto the man, but it says its end is destruction. See, who is Lord of your life? Is it Jesus or is it your desires? Is it his word or is it your passions? Is it, is it what he has for you, or is it the trail that you want to go down the walk you want to go on? And if it's the latter, then you're risking your relationship with Christ. Do you hear God's voice speaking to you today? Are you heeding to his voice? God speaks to us all the time. None of us are where we need to be. When I read through scripture, God is continually talking to me. That's the importance of, of being in God's word for myself and not just depending upon others. You get in, you read the word of God, because the word of God is a lie of an active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It speaks to me. When I'm in prayer, God speaks to me. When I listen to other Christians and I'm in Christian fellowship, it speaks to me. And I listen for what God has. And when I fall short, I ask forgiveness. And I purpose in my heart to follow after him. Where are you today in your relationship with him? Do you know him? Is your faith alive? Let's pray.